Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, January 28th. I'm Desiree Frazier, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a deep dive into the controversial bill that promises to combat pay discrimination in the state. And a Gulf Coast college and hospital take a crack at Mississippi's nursing shortage. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. U.S. federal law prohibits pay discrimination on the basis of sex, but Mississippi hasn't explicitly prohibited the practice. In fact, it's the only state in the country yet to have done so. House Bill 770, which is called the Equal Pay for Equal Work Act, aims to change that. It was introduced this session by Independent Representative Angela Cockerham of Magnolia. Last week, it sailed through the committee and passed the House by a comfortable margin. But some advocates and legal experts say the bill is toothless. Their concerns are driven by a sweeping amendment made on the House floor by Cockerham herself that inserts a number of caveats referred to as factors other than sex under which equal pay protections would not apply. Those include, quote, the salary history or continuity of employment history demonstrated by the employee as compared to employees of the opposite sex in the same establishment. Matt Steffi is a professor at the Mississippi College School of Law. He speaks with MPB's Kobe Vance. In particular, The first of these examples is deeply problematic in that it says that any factor uh, other than six shall include the salary history demonstrated by the employee as compared to employees of the opposite sex in the state establishment. And that seems to take away with one hand what was given on the other, that it promises that equal pay for equal work, but excludes salary history, which would seem to bake in any history of discrimination, that if there was discriminatory pay, the history of it would somehow be a defense. And that's problematic just analytically. And that problem has been recognized by a number of federal courts that have barred it as a uh, as a defense by an employer reasoning among other things that a history of salary 
has nothing to do with job-related factors. That the any factor other than sex needs to be a job-related factor, not a pay history-related factor, which again might very well reflect sex discrimination. The to illustrate this, a number of states have specifically banned salary history as a factor or a defense, and a number of states are either in the process of or are, have amended their laws to forbid it. So its inclusion in here is, is swimming against the tide. The main part of the, the bill is taken from the federal law. These additions, however, are not, and in fact, have been forbidden by law in several states and struck down by courts in others. Do you think this is something that lawmakers could adjust in the future if they, uh, as this bill goes into I, the Senate? I, I hope so. The salary history is intellectually problematic, is factually problematic, is unlawful under federal law in most of the country and unlawful by state law in much of the country. And so to say we're going to fix sex discrimination going forward freezes in whatever amount of sex discrimination exists now. And, uh, and, and again, the salary history, the court's reason, is not a work performance factor. The other provision of Section 1, I think, is a little bit more complex, where it talks about continuity of employment. And discontinuity of employment is something faced often by young parents, uh, uh, far more women than men, but by young parents who take time off to care for young children or by people who take uh, time off to care for ailing family members, more often women than men. That discontinuity of employment is one of the big reasons for the existing gender gap. That discontinuity is much more often suffered by women than men. And leaving that in as a defense is also going to be seen as problematic. But that's there's more of a kind of two sides to that, I think. One can understand how an employer would want to reward employees for longevity of service and continuity of service. But you could already reward longevity through a seniority system. So I'm not sure what this adds, except largely it penalizes it. It's uh, to the detriment of uh, caretakers, of, fa- of ailing family members, elderly family members, and small children. That That's not as transparently problematic as baking in existing sex discrimination. I would also add that a seniority system is explicitly mentioned in in the number of exclusions right. as well. So that would... That's right. So that uh, there's no doubt a, a seniority system is permitted. And so a person who doesn't have a break in employment will still benefit from a seniority system. This is an on top of that an additional factor that not only do you have eight years, you have eight continuous years, which would penalize someone, usually a woman, who may have eight years of service, but that's bracketed around two years uh, where she had to take off to care for a family member. Could this open the door for a business to 
grandfather in somebody's existing wage gap and justify I think, that. I think so. I, I think uh, if a employer justifies a higher salary for a man than a woman because the man has always earned more, it, it's hard to, to, to square that with equal pay for equal work. So I think standing on that ground could very well have the effect of grandfathering in, of baking in existing sex discrimination. And that's the very reason so many courts have struck it down as unlawful. That's Matt Steffi of the Mississippi College School of Law. Angela Cockerham, who authored House Bill 770, declined a request for comment on the specifics of the legislation. But women's rights advocates in the state are sounding off on what they're characterizing as an equal pay bill in name only. That's next. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The fight for pay equity in Mississippi is heating up as a controversial equal pay bill awaits a vote in the state Senate. The bill in question, House Bill 770, it prohibits gender-based wage discrimination, but does so with a number of caveats. Yesterday, equal pay advocates addressed the press on the steps of the Capitol. Among them was Maria Serratos, who's an engineering student at Mississippi State. If the women of Mississippi are not given a first shot at success, the growth and progress of the state will continue to be in jeopardy. Cassandra Welshlin is director of the Mississippi Black Women's Roundtable. HB 770 is the opposite of an equal pay bill, um, and it rubber stamps employers' decisions to pay women less for equal work. For years, our organization have been working in coalition um, with legislators to really get an equal pay bill that's not a name only, one that would do no harm, but one that would protect workers. And HB 770 does not do that. What's most shocking to us is that this bill expressly codifies into law practices that are widely known to create gender pay gaps and in relying on job applicants' salary history to set pay. The bill allows an employer to justify paying a woman less than a man doing the same job just because her prior salary history um, was lower. We know that salary history, um, when an employer relies on salary history, that actually contributes to the wage gap. And they are embedding um, gender wage gaps in their workforce from the beginning since women, you know, average are paid less than men anyways. And so this is this bill will carry this discriminatory practice from job to job. Um, So allowing history as a defense to an equal pay claim undermines the whole point of an equal pay bill. And so for us, we can't support that because we don't need anything that would do additional harm. Um, We are pushing um, for a ban against asking for a salary history. And for the last seven years, our advocacy work has been 
if you want a strong equal pay bill, this is one of the things that must be included in that, which is banning salary history. Uh, employers from relying on that. That is problematic. And so uh, what we know, um, the 16 states have already done done research on that, um, where bans on salary history actually closes the gaps. So this bill does the opposite. It is not one that we can um, support. And if we're really going to get an equal pay bill, we need to do one that does no harm and one that explicitly protects workers, not take away the rights of workers. The language that you're referring to was added in an amendment uh, just before the House voted to uh, adopt the measure. Uh, how do you think you know this bill got to this point uh, where this was adopted uh, in the way it was? We actually had a conversation with um, Angela Cockerham when we learned that she was bringing the bill out um, on Monday. And we saw her bill and we, but, but the bill in the original form, not in the form that she brought to the floor, which was a surprise. And so when we got to her, we told her, you know, we have some amendments that would actually make your bill really strong um, and that would really provide protections to workers. And she asked us to send them to her. We did, and she would consider it. And there were other lawmakers that was also working with us to, you know, also talk with her about that. Uh, The last word we heard was that she said that she was not willing to make those amendments. So when we got on the floor, we saw that the bill was completely different. And actually, this bill that she proposed was worse than the original bill. And so that was really problematic. And no one had a real opportunity to even go through it, to look at it. Um, to really do the analysis on it. And and she knows. She's a smart woman and a woman who also, as she says, has practiced um, law, um, employment law um, in this way. And so she absolutely understood what she was doing. But for us, this bill is really harmful. And again, it is not one that we can support. And it's one that women in the state of Mississippi it undermines women in the state of Mississippi and particularly, you know, black and brown women and black women who are making just 56 cents on the dollar. Do you think there's opportunities to amend the bill in the Senate as the bill is taken up? That's what we're hoping that um, there will be um, an opportunity to do that amendment. What we know also is that um, there is a bill that's, and it's not the bill that we've been advocating for the bill that we've been advocating for is the one that Senator Turner Ford um, has. And it does the things that we have been advocating for, which is ban salary history, ensure that women and workers are not retaliated against when they discuss their pay, ensure that race is included in an equal pay bill so that women um, have an opportunity to um, be represented because when we know is women, black women and brown women make less on the dollar. And this bill would add added protections for black women who are making 56 cents on the dollar and for brown women as well. And so this is really, these are some important elements inside of a good equal pay bill. Stepping away from this bill specifically, what do you think an equal pay bill would mean for women in Mississippi? 
a good equal pay bill in the state of Mississippi, including all the elements that I said, it would be um, a tremendous win for women because again, women are half the workforce in the state of Mississippi, but we're two thirds of the minimum wage earners. Women are breadwinners and co-breadwinners in this state. We are working, uh, but yet we're not getting paid what we should be getting paid. And so if we put in a law that makes sure and ensures that a woman gets her full dollar, then that's an extra $20,000 that can go back into her household a year. That's significant and particularly significant for Black women in the state of Mississippi and um, who represents households, particularly households led by single women who really fall below that poverty rate. And so that means more food gets placed on the table. You have money for childcare, for, for rent. You have money to set up for college and also to begin to put away for retirement. So it means a lot if we can make sure that Mississippi has a good equal pay law that is equitable for women in the state of Mississippi. Cassandra Welchlin is executive director of the Mississippi Black Women's Roundtable. Cassandra, thank you for talking with us today. Thank you. Coming up, a Gulf Coast college and hospital hope their new collaboration will help combat Mississippi's nursing shortage. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The University of Southern Mississippi is adding to its clinical faculty two nurses from Merritt Health Wesley Hospital in Hattiesburg. Lachelle Story is USM's Dean of Nursing. She tells MPB's Rob Lane that the partnership will help USM expand enrollment capacity. But she says there's an upside for the hospital, too. What we have learned over the the years is that the number one way to get a, a graduate to come work at a hospital is to get them there in a clinical experience and then let them have a good clinical experience while they're there. And so that really is what connects that future graduate to that hospital that they may not have thought about working at before. And, you know, we're also hopeful that because they may um, have these great experiences, these graduates will also stay in the state of Mississippi to work once they graduate. So we will not only help the local hospitals get um, more nurses, but hopefully those nurses will then stay here in Mississippi to help us address the nursing shortage um, that we're experiencing. Over the past few years, we've talked about nurses as heroes. We've also gotten a glimpse into some of the real hardships and the challenges of being a nurse, particularly during the pandemic. How have you seen that affect the mentality of people who are potentially looking to get into nursing at USM? Is there increased interest, decreased interest? Are prospective students expressing different concerns than they might have before COVID? Sure. So we're seeing a couple of trends, and I'll start with as far as interest goes. 
because of all the prerequisites that students have to take, we knew that we wouldn't see necessarily an immediate impact for students wanting or not wanting to come into nursing. So that first little while in the pandemic, it stayed, our admission applications stayed about the same. But the applications that we reviewed for this current semester, which is a spring semester, that's typically a smaller group of applicants just because of the nature of when people graduate high school. This spring semester, we saw an uptick in the number of qualified applications and the quality of the qualified applicants. So we ended up taking more students, trying to capture all of those uh, that we could because they were so high quality. So I think now we're starting to see that increased interest start matriculating into um, uh, applications. Now, I will say, though, that the graduates, though, are, um, for probably good reason, a little bit trepidatious about graduating and that transition to practice. And so uh, we've seen an interesting trend in working with our uh, schools across the state as well as our hospitals across the state. In the last year, we've noticed that students aren't necessarily as concerned about securing a job before they graduate as they once were. But I think the graduates really know that they can go work anywhere they want right now because of the need is so high. You mentioned earlier that... Part of the idea here with this collaboration with Merit Health is to get students interested in staying in Mississippi to work as nurses. The question I have is we've seen similar programs like this uh, in the educational space trying to address Mississippi's teacher shortage, where you offer these various programs that incentivize kids who are studying to become teachers to get out in classrooms in Mississippi and get really exciting hands-on job training experience. And we hear from people on the ground that even with those kind of opportunities, it's very, very, very hard to keep kids in the state. They stay here for their education. They get a solid education and a really great hands-on experience. And then they take that out of state where they can make more money. And with nursing, especially during the pandemic, that's really been exaggerated because we've seen traveling contract nurses making potentially double what they're making in Mississippi in a state like Tennessee or Texas, or even over $100, $125 an hour on the West Coast during the height of the Delta spike. What gives you confidence that that this is going to be different, that this is really going to keep kids in Mississippi where we need them? Well, certainly those are those are good points. And, you know, that's been a problem in lots of disciplines for, for a while now. And know that, you know, we've been also having conversations with our legislators. And when I say we, I mean the nursing leaders in the state, both in academia as well as in the healthcare sector, to try to address this complex issue. I don't think any one thing is going to, to solve the problem. The nursing shortage issue is multifaceted. And I think it's really going to require people working together in ways that they've never worked before to find solutions that we've never tried before uh, to try to address it. And I think that trying to find multiple layers of ways to look at this, I think is where we're really going to start making an impact. We felt like this was a way to start with our partners, and I've started sharing this information and this model with our nursing directors and hospitals across the state in hopes to help them set up something similar so we can start having uh, a collective impact. And again, this is just one option that, that can help the, the, the issue, but it's going to take multiple strategies in place in 
from multiple stakeholders in order to really make a significant impact. And that does include legislation. It includes our hospitals working together, our schools, all of us looking at this in different ways in order to be able to address this issue. Lachelle Story is professor and dean of the College of Nursing and Health Professions at the University of Southern Mississippi. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Stick around for a full morning of Mississippi Radio. Coming up at 9, it's the Gestalt Gardener. Then at 10, it's Next Stop Mississippi. And at 11, don't miss Southern Remedy. Find past installments of this and other Think Radio shows online at mpbonline.org. I'm Desiree Frazier. See you Monday morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition on MPB Think Radio. Have a great weekend.